0: Hi everyone! Welcome to Episode 5, Part 1 of Keeping a Notebook, a podcast on writing. I'm Nina LaCour. I took a week off unexpectedly, and it gave me some time to reflect on the first four episodes of the season and the next four to come. And I realized that even though I didn't have a theme in mind for this first season, one has emerged for me anyway. It's a theme of learning to trust in what you have to offer, and then taking the leap to begin. Beginning means different things. It's ever-changing. If you want to write, beginning could simply be the act of taking pen to paper and giving it your best shot. If you've been writing for years already, beginning might mean starting a new project that is even more yourself than the last, more revealing and braver. Even the act of revision, if done right, is an act of beginning again. This season also is about dreaming and striving. That's what this podcast is for me right now. Something unfamiliar and exciting and brand new. And as much as I've loved sharing my own stories with you, I've been wanting to invite a few other voices in. Over the course of this two part episode, we'll be hearing from three people who have taken the big leap to start something they've been dreaming of. We'll hear from a shop owner, a bread baker, and a writer. They'll share the stories of how they began and why they love what they do and what makes the hard work worth it. As you listen to their stories, I hope you hold your own dreams close. I hope you ask yourself what it is you'd like to begin or continue or nurture the hope of. All three of these people have been inspirations to me and I hope that they inspire you too. Two and a half years ago, my wife and daughter and I bought a house in Martinez, a small city east of San Francisco. Even though I'd grown up in the East Bay and lived there almost all my life, I didn't know anything about it. And even though it was only 20 miles from where we'd been living, it scared me to start over. I worried we wouldn't find a community here, That we wouldn't make friends. And then I met Justin Gomez. It's a common joke in the tight-knit downtown of our little city that Justin should run for mayor, and we're only partially joking. He's a unifier, the host of open invitation summer picnics in the park and front porch Halloween gatherings where he gives homemade pizza to friends and strangers alike. We were lucky to be early recipients of his home-baked, naturally leavened bread, which is honestly among the very best bread I've had. And now many others get to devour it on a weekly basis since he started Humble Bakehouse, making his own sourdough bread in a new fancy oven from his very own kitchen. Another friend we made early on in town is Lisa Gomez. We saw her beautiful macrame plant holders and wall hangings before we even met her. And when she started to sell them at our farmer's market, my wife and daughter were her very first customers. Now she has a small brick and mortar shop where she sells an incredible variety of indoor plants along with carefully curated decorative items and her macrame, of course. If you're a lover of plants and beautiful spaces like I am, walking into Knots and Found is like walking into a tiny paradise. And Lisa is always so welcoming and knowledgeable. She also happens to be Justin's mother. The two of them came over the other night to tell me about their dreams and how they chose to begin. The dream
1: store in my head was an old Victorian house with lots of rooms, and each room would have all things arranged in it. It wasn't necessarily plants, but lots of different things. And in this old Victorian house, everything would be for sale. So it would be like somebody coming into my home, except that I'm selling everything in my home. <laughs> my my daughter-in-law, um, she has a salon, a hair styling salon, and one of the rooms was going to be for her her hair styling salon. Uh, the kitchen would be the coffee shop and also some bakery goods and everything, just like a house, but everything in the house for sale. The garden would have the, all the plants for sale. The living room would have all the furniture for sale. So in my head, I'm thinking, wow, I get to arrange everything often, which is what I love to do. I've always been self-employed. Ever since I can remember, I all my family, we, we, we're immigrants. We came here from the Philippines. And the way we were able to come in was uh, for my parents to have their own business. That was how we were able to get a visa. When we first arrived, we had an import-export store. So we were selling goods mostly from where I'm from, from the Philippines. When I came, I was 13 years old and we all started working very young. We had a drive through restaurant. We were selling root beer and hamburgers and French fries. We had that. And then we had a um, daycare. So I was a daycare teacher for a while. We had a, what else did we have? We had so many. So, oh, my, my mother decides uh, she wanted to be in the um, lodging business. So she bought a motel in Fresno. So I worked there for a while. Yeah, doing everything, doing from cleaning the rooms to, to manning the, the front desk and everything. Everything that had to be done, we did. I've never worked for anybody else but myself. So when I was older, we had a travel agency. My husband still does the travel agency. And then I had a UPS store for a long, long time. And then I retired, finally retired. And then I flunked retirement and opened the plant store. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing macrame and I was doing so many macrames that my son, this one, (laughs) said, Mom, you should sell it. And I'm thinking, who's going to want to buy my macrame? (laughs) So I just kept making them and making them and it was accumulating. You can only give so many away. So one day I just decided, okay, let's do it with his encouragement. I was very, very afraid of, oh, I go to the market and nobody buys it and I come home with all the stuff I brought in. So that's how it all started. So it was the little plants that I would put into the macrame on the found pots that I, you know, would get garage sailing and stuff like that. So that's how it started. Just all from selling at the open air market, just all from making macrame first. But in my head, I wanted that big Victorian house. Yeah that big Victorian house store where everything will be for sale. I think I just missed being in business. I think I've been working all my life practically since, I would say since we arrived in this country, we were working. I slowly realized that if I, had, if I were to stick with the big Victorian house, it probably would not happen. So I had to scale back the dream store quite a bit. Because it was always in the back of my mind. I would always say, Oh, that would make a good plant store. Every time we walked on the street, oh, that would make a good plant store. So one day, one of the spaces that we were looking at that I was thinking that would make a good plant store. My son saw a four-rent sign on it, and that was it. He said, Let's do it now. Let's call the landlord. Come over here, let's check it out. And he called the landlord. The landlord came and met us there. This is this all happened in a day. And his words were, Mom, it's now or never. You know, I'm I'm not young, so it's, it's true. It's now or never.
2: And that was because there had been a space that had gone up for rent maybe a few months before, and then you didn't take it because you felt like it was too expensive or you couldn't do it. And then when it rented and someone else took it over, you were kicking yourself a little bit. So I knew it was now or never, definitely. And... You just needed a nudge after you missed the opportunity on the first the first door.
1: <laughs> yeah, I needed a push, not a nudge. <laughs> yeah. It was a dump. It had grimy carpets. It wasn't smelling very good. <laughs> and it literally was a cave because it was dark. So we were going, how oh, are we going to make a plant store out of a dark room? And then we looked up and there was a wood thing uh, on the ceiling that looked like it was a skylight. So how oh, we can put the skylight back and... And that did it. My husband did all the building. um, He made all the shelves. He painted all the walls. My children helped me clean it up. They ripped out the carpet, literally ripped out the carpet. We scraped the floor. The glue from the floor was not very easy to take out. There's still glue on the floor right now, but it it turns out it, it looks pretty good, so we're leaving it there it was not a plant store for sure it was it was a it was a storage so somehow with lots of sweat equity we got it to look like a plant store and we got the light in there and the plants are thriving (laughs) i'm doing exactly what i want to be doing the others were always i have to do this because this will earn the money so i've come to a point in my life where You know, there's enough money coming in that I don't have to earn extra money anymore. So this is is what I have wanted to do for a very, very, very long time. So finally, I get to do it. I love plants, but I love puttering about in the store. It's like in my house, I can't have that many plants because the light's only on one side. So I think it's an extension of what... I wanted my house to be with, with all the plants around. I liked the people coming in I, when I had the UPS store. I didn't like the shipping part, but I liked the part when, when people come in and you get to know the customers and stuff like that. I like going back to that, inter, the interaction with the customers. I love it when uh, somebody comes in saying, I kill everything, what plant should I get? And a few a few weeks later that same customer would come in it's still alive can I get a harder plant I, I live I love that I love it when uh, somebody gets introduced to a plant and they stick with it so stuff like that it's just it's just nice
2: the dream for my own little cottage bakery it's pretty easy to describe because I take a lot of cues from another. Cottage Bakery in Modesto, California, called Alchemy Bread Co., and that is a bakery run by a phenomenal woman named Bonnie O'Hara, and she does a thing called Saturday Bread, and she bakes all through the evening and sets up breads on her front porch, and literally dozens and dozens of people line up in front of her house and come and buy what she baked all night. So when I was dreaming up actually selling my bread legitimately... I took a lot of inspiration from what she was doing because it's really grounded in not just good bread, but also fostering a sense of community. The moment where we decided humble would be a thing was at the tail end of our most recent baby leave, paternity, maternity leave, whatever you wanna call it. Our second daughter was born in April of 2018, and we had made a very intentional choice to take a very extended leave. And the work that I had done previously was all contract-based, a lot of freelance work, working for county agencies. And since I was a government contractor, I was able to say, I'm going on this family leave, and I'll just see you all when I get back. And while we were away, my contract had lapsed, essentially. And there was just some technical issues where I essentially didn't have a job to come back to. At the end of the maternity leave, we had looked at some other opportunities that had arisen about me taking on some other full-time roles beyond just the contract work, but those all fell through. So we had just had this phenomenal experience of becoming a family of four, and I thought I was going to be coming back to another job, whether that was the contract job or uh, this other opportunity I'd I'd been looking at working with a nonprofit, and neither of those things came to be. But I always had the bread thing. And it's something that we'd often talked about me doing just for fun or as a side hustle. But it was in that moment where I was kind of presented with this blank slate in terms of what my work situation would look like, that I decided to just go for it. The beauty of a a cottage food operation is unlike other brick and mortar retail establishments or full production bakeries, or even just a small retail bakery is the financial risk is very minimal because your rental overhead is your, your mortgage. There's a minimal equipment investment, but it was really just deciding, do I want to take the bread that I've been sharing with family and friends, put a name on it and go ask strangers for money for it. And so I thought a lot about people who've gotten the bread in the past, who've always said that I should try and sell it, a lot of them being my family, saying that it was worth selling. But then also there are a lot of people who had had my bread previously, who just kind of heard through text message or referrals and somehow would get my number and I'd somehow just give them a loaf of bread because I never wanted to sell it before I was a legitimate operation because I was scared that I'd get in trouble with the health department or something. So with this kind of blank slate in terms of what my future looks like work-wise, Humble seemed just like the perfect choice. I work best for myself, and this seemed like a perfect opportunity to be my own boss while also turning a passion that I really, really enjoyed into something that could also produce income. But beyond that, allow me to connect with my community in a way that I really wanted to on my terms with flour, water, and salt and gluten as the vehicle. When you're working with what people often call a sourdough or what's also called naturally leavened bread, um, you're not using any commercial yeast. You're using a starter culture that is essentially a very happy combination of a little bit of flour and water and then eventually the yeasts and bacteria that exist in the air coming together to ferment and provide the same uh, leavening effects that commercially produce Eastwood. So for me, being able to work with naturally leavened bread, taking my sourdough culture, whose name is Steve, it's, it's tradition within the baker bakery world to name your starters, mixing my starter with flour, and then fresh milled whole grains and other flours as well, blending those all together. And then just through a series of stretching and folding techniques and mixing and really just time and temperature, you take less than four, sometimes maybe a couple more ingredients, but really just a small handful of ingredients. And you're able to create something that tastes wildly different from each of those ingredients on their own. So it's it's kind of magical, I, I would say. Really getting my hands in dough is probably my favorite part of the process because every batch of dough tends to be a little bit different based off how much water you're using or the types of flour but you're always striving for a, a very similar outcome. And that's a, a beautiful loaf of bread at the end that hopefully people will enjoy. And it's a long time. It takes a lot of a lot of patience and a lot of discipline. It's not something you can rush from the beginning of the process. Most loaves probably take about, uh, I'd say, a minimum of 24 hours to make when you factor in fermentation times and rising and final proofing stages. Bread is uh, something that definitely teaches you patience. So I think in this day and age, a hobby and a passion like that, that for me now has also become part of my work has been really healthy for me to kind of root myself in a craft like bread baking. So if I'm going to do a pop-up bake, I'm baking probably about 24 loaves. Since I'm a cottage bakery and I'm baking everything in my own home kitchen, 24 loaves is a big undertaking. So that typically starts at about 4 a.m. I'll get up in the house before the sun comes up, before everyone else is up, and they're not going to be up for a few hours. And I'll start mixing all of my ingredients. So you just pour everything into these tubs and you check all your temperatures and you try to get everything dialed in just right. And then you just start mixing. And because I have an infant and a toddler and a wife who's trying to get some sleep in the early hours of the morning. There's no opportunity to play music or anything. So it's really just kind of being in the still of the quiet and just, you know, feeling the dough and feeling the water and the flowers as they all kind of come together and just kind of being in your own head and trying to be really present with what's going on in the the dough tubs that you're mixing. Because for a lot of bakers, some people are very, very precise, and that's that's really important in the process. But a lot of it is just kind of intuition. Like you you do this so much, you know what the dose is supposed to feel like, you know what it's supposed to look like. And there's times where even in those early mornings, I can realize something is is wrong. And some of those miscalculations can throw off the in, the entire day, or maybe even ruin the entire bake. So it's just it's really cool to be up in those early morning hours. And usually when I get up at 4 a.m. and I mix at that quantity, by the time I'm done is like just when the sun starts coming up and just when I can get away with turning on the coffee grinder and not getting in trouble. And you can go drink a cup of coffee on the front porch as the sun's coming up and the rest of the house is starting to stir. Calling it Humble Bakehouse makes me not want to talk about a lot of the praise that I get for the bread, but there's people who will plan their meals around bread or tell me that the days that they get bread is the best day of the week, or it's something that they are saving to share with their family who's coming in town because they don't want to save it just for themselves. And that's what I really want to do is just have something that I really love and be able to share that passion that's fortunately edible. With someone else and then also have that be a means for them to bring people together those little things just make those those early mornings or you know hand mixing everything's tiring it makes it all worth it because i i know they're truly enjoying it and it's as much as it is just bread it's something that's that brightens their day and being able to do that for them makes me very happy
1: I'm very proud of him because he's he's I know what it's like to start something where you don't know if somebody's going to buy your stuff. It's it's scary because you don't know how much money you're going to lose. Hopefully you won't lose any. So I'm very proud that that he's uh, he's doing this. I'm very proud that he's at least trying. I told him when we first tasted his bread, we already said you should sell your bread. So it took a. It was a process for him. From that day we tasted the bread, to the day he he got his uh, license for his kitchen, that took what?
2: Over two and a half years. Yeah, so Almost it, three it years. took
1: a while. It took a while. So now I'm glad he's doing it.
2: Well, it's the same thing with my mom's macrame and the plants. Like her home is very Instagram worthy. There was times where my brother and I would post pictures from her home and our you know, millennial aged friends would be like, where is that? Is that really your mom's house? This or that. So I think having the encouragement of your family more often than not, your family is not going to BS you. And if they're saying you have something that's good, that you should really take their word for it and kind of trust them to put yourself out there and, it's worked out for the But both remember
1: of us. Uh, the first market we had, and I was going. Nobody's coming to buy.
2: Yeah, you know, you no one was coming to buy, and then you sold a ton. And then he says,
1: he says, "Oh, just wait, just wait." And, then, and I almost sold out that very first market. So yeah, it was very scary.
2: And a lot of you thought it was only because I told all of my friends in town, but there was a lot of people who
1: yeah because you knew everybody so i said next the next one don't go i want to see people will still buy if you're not there
2: and people did and
1: people did yeah (laughs) but yeah i'm so glad that he's selling his bread but now we don't get to eat as much bread as as we want because he has to sell them first (laughs) has to pay for the oven
0: (laughs) i want to thank lisa and justin for sharing their stories with us You can see pictures of Lisa's gorgeous plant shop and get glimpses into Justin's cottage bakery at Knots and Found and Humble Bakehouse on Instagram, which I've included in the show notes. In part two of this episode, I'll be bringing the conversation back around to writing by sharing the story of a writer whose beginnings are tied up in loss, and whose journey took some unexpected turns as she pursued her dreams. And the good news? You don't even have to wait until next Monday to hear it. It's available now, right after this one. As always, you can find me at ninalacour.com and on Twitter and Instagram at nina I'd love
2: to hear from you.